So good to be with you this morning. What a beautiful day it is, and um, what a beautiful time of worship. Thank you, Kyle, for leading us in, into worship. Thank you, worship team and choir, and leading us into worship. A beautiful picture of the kingdom of God, the people of God gathering together for worship. I am excited about this summer. NWBC on mission. This summer is going to be uh, exciting. It's my first summer to be here at Northwest. I love what God is doing, and uh, some some of our people have dreamed up some some big dreams, and uh, it's excited to to see where God takes that. Um, today is my 12th anniversary. Jordan and I have been married for 12 years. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. We have. We wouldn't, um, I would not be here with you um, without the Lord God Almighty and without my wife who has been um, just an encouragement to me and uh, an encouragement to everyone that she's around. Today is, is one of those days, it's hard for me because I get so attached to these sermon series. And when it's the last of the sermon series, I kind of get a little bit sad because I've been really attached to the great I am. And this is the seventh and the final of Jesus's I am statements. I'm, I'm encouraged to see what God has in store for us next week as we, as we do the Memorial Day weekend service and, and, and honoring our troops as well as seeing the gospel and the role in government. But also in the next summer, summer is not for us to take off, just by the way. And so... Um, I'm really coming with it in the summer. It's going to be uh, Northwest DNA. And what does God want his church to do? What is the DNA, according to scripture, of the local body of believers? And so it'll be a very interesting sermon series. It'll last most of the summer. Um, but uh, so don't miss that. And if you do miss that, you can hear all of our podcasts and all of our sermons online. We encourage you to do that if you're on vacation with your family this summer. But I'm excited about today because if we can get this concept in which Jesus is talking to us about the seventh I am statement, we can live out the gospel in our everyday life. It is practical for us. And, I, and, and today, I really hope that you see how the gospel brings freedom and hope and the weight and the burden of trying to work yourself and do it all yourself, to put on your, the burden of all yourself in performing religious duties, that you shrug that off. And instead of just performing religious duties, you rest in the power, in the grace of God and his work for you. Because Christ is the one that works in and through you, not you doing it. It is Christ alone. So now we know who this Jesus is. These last seven weeks, we've seen that he is the bread of life, the light of the world, the gate, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. And this morning, Jesus says, I am the vine. And guess what? We respond 
to who Christ is as he speaks very plainly to us. If we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. There may be some of you this morning who feel exhausted. You feel exhausted from always trying to measure up. You may feel as if you're not producing enough fruit in your life. You may feel the fruit of the Spirit isn't evident. Maybe it's difficult to love, exhausting to exercise self-control. And maybe you haven't even seen the fruit of the gospel and seeing people come to faith in your life, Christ using you in some time. Well, let me tell you something. This is going to change this morning through the word of God coming into your heart and into your mind. Christ is saying, I am the one that brings fruit into your life. Stop trying to do it alone and rest in the power of Christ and his resurrection. My prayer this morning for us in this room is that we are so overwhelmed with the power of the Holy Spirit through the word of God that we realize that apart from Christ, we can do nothing, church. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And maybe you're here this morning and you're bearing fruit in your life. The gospel is leading your life in love and patience and goodness. And you're exercising self-control. You're seeing people come to Christ. You're watching God use you to work in the life of others. These truths still should stir your hearts towards affections for love for God and love for other people and, and cause us and our hearts desires to wake up every morning denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus. So my prayer is this, this, this passage ignites a love that is indescribable for God and for people. Because I think this is really the key to gospel living, to living a godly life in Christ Jesus. Let's look at the text this morning in John chapter 15. Again, I could probably preach this sermon 15 times if you wanted me to. I could do a whole series on this section, and maybe we will sometime, but we're trying to condense it into one sermon. John 15, verse 1. Stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. You guys are already in advance here. You're advanced people. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. 
If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that you may that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all that I've heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give to you these things I command you so that you will love one another. You may be seated. Don't worry, I'm not gonna preach through all this whole text, but I did wanna read it to you because it is a full section of scripture. I like to... I like to cover what the section of Scripture talks about. And if we don't have the context, we won't be able to see what Jesus is talking about in its fullness, in its context. We're going to really focus on the first nine verses. I will kind of talk about the end there, but just a little bit. I'm going to pray for us. Father, we ask that your Spirit would be with us this morning, that, you would, that we would rest in your truth, Father, that we would rest in you, that we would not become weary or exhausted from trying to do our own work, but we would rest in the power of Christ in us to accomplish what you want to do in us and through us. Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you didn't know, and uh, maybe if if, if you're... If you're not aware, we are having Memorial Day weekend next weekend. I'm excited for our service here. Um, It will be my first time to get an opportunity to see what Northwest does here um, in in honoring those who have served this great nation. But also also another thing happens next weekend. Um, It is an Oklahoma... uh, tradition that the boats go out on the lake on Memorial Day weekends. And some of you may understand this if you guys like to go to the lakes around here. But um, we came to Oklahoma when I was uh, young. I was in the fourth grade. And about junior high, we caught on to this Oklahoma tradition of getting on the lake. And my parents bought a new boat when I was in junior high. It was a 1976 Trisonic. It was new for us, probably not new for (coughs) most people that saw it. It was a beauty. It had taupe green interior. It had fake wood on the dashboard or fall wood on the dashboard. I don't even know how to pronounce it. It had all the chrome accessories that you could ever want. The only problem is that we had never owned a boat. We had never been on the lake maybe a couple times as a kid. And we took this beauty out for its inaugural spin. 
We literally knew nothing. How hard can this be, right? And so after taking 30 minutes of all of us waving our arms profusely and trying to get the, the, the driver of the trailer to back it down straight, we back the trailer down the boat ramp. We get to the edge of the water. We unhook the boat from the trailer. And after figuring out how to start the engine, it starts right up. But we try and back it out off the trailer and realize that we're not all the way in the water. So we have to get back in the car and move it a bit further down. And we back it out. We're off. As we slowly move out of the no-wake zone, we're feeling pretty good about ourselves right now, high-fiving and thinking, this boat thing is pretty easy. We stopped for a minute to change the drivers. I don't know if I was the one that was going to get to drive yet, or maybe it was dad. I'm not sure. But the motor shuts down. We look at each other, and we think to ourselves, no problem. We'll just start it right up again. Only for someone in the boat to say, we're taking on water here. Water begins to creep up out of the bottom of the boat and we open the compartment where the engine is and water is pouring into the engine. We're in the middle of the lake and now we are drowning. Our once confident and arrogant smile has just turned to panic. We grab the horn in the, box, in the glove box and begin blowing that horn and begin flagging someone down. And they come to our boat and they begin to tow us back into the ramp. And we say, we have a leak in this new boat. We just got it. And the man towing us says these words. Did you put the plug in the boat? <laughs> kind of look at each other and say, what's the plug? The funny thing is the very next time we took the boat out and it began to sink, we knew what was happening. You see, a, a Christ follower who tries to drive their life without abiding in Christ is on the boat of life sinking, waving people down, going, I don't know what's happening. So this morning, I, I pray that the Lord plugs up the waters of discouragement, anxiety, loneliness, self-centeredness. And I pray the Lord brings you to the fullness of his joy and resting in the complete and other work of Christ and what he has done. That's what he wants us to do. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit from apart from me. You can do nothing. Jesus, just to give a little bit of context here, Jesus has shown what it means to love, to wash the disciples' feet, including Judas. I always think about that. And I think to myself, Jesus washed the feet of Judas. The man who would betray him for 30 pieces of silver. And, and then he begins talking to his disciples in, in what is called the upper room discourse, where, where Jesus tells him he's going away and they're going to receive the Holy Spirit. It's actually better for him to go away so that they will have the Holy Spirit. There's a book out that's, that's, that says uh, Jesus 
the Holy Spirit within me is better than Jesus beside me. Because Jesus says, it's better I go away. So that you have the Holy Spirit. And when he is in the middle of explaining what the Holy Spirit will do, the work he shows, the key to living in the power of Christ, he explains to them for the key to do the work of the ministry, the key to living out the gospel is abiding in Christ, abiding in the vine, abiding in the source of life, Christ himself. So if we turn to Chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in in me. This is our point this morning for point number one is this. Christ is the source of life. Christ is the source. You could say Christ is the only source of true life. You see this illustration that Jesus gives of the, the vine and the branches is a, is a beautiful picture of our life in Christ The vine is the source, the sustenance of life, and the branches must abide or be connected or dwell in the vine to have life and to bear fruit. Jesus, of course, is the vine, and the branches are the people that are connected to Christ. This is not a new idea. The Old Testament actually gives mention to the Lord, Yahweh himself, planting a vineyard or a vine. And he describes it as Israel. In which he cares for this vine. He trims this vine. He cuts off the branches that did not bear fruit. This vine is supposed to bring life. It's supposed to bear fruit. All the nations are supposed to see these people and see this great God and want to to proclaim this great God. But the Lord says in Isaiah 5 that the the vine that he planted did not bear fruit. Israel itself did not bear fruit. Fruit. He says the vineyard will be laid to waste in Isaiah 5. And that is exactly what happened. We, we talked about this when we talked about Ezra and the foreign nations laying waste to God's people. And yet Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the new covenant relationship with God. God's perfect plan was always the true vine. And he says, my father is the vine dresser. What he does is he takes off branches that do not bear fruit. These branches appear connected, but are in fact dead. There is no life in them. They're connected to the vine. In verse two, he says, he takes them away that does not bear fruit. The 
the, the branches that do bear fruit are the ones that he prunes. The Greek word for this pruning process is to clean up, to strip. It's actually the same word in, in the Greek in verse 3. In the, in the ESV, it renders it clean. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Same root word there. God takes the branch, cleans off all the dead stuff, shapes it up so that the branch is diverting all its energy and resources to produce fruit because that's what it was created to do. Guess what? God prunes his church. God prunes the people of God. Now, when I refer to church, I just want to make sure I'm clear on this. Whenever I refer to church, I always refer to the people of God because that's what it is, the household of God, the family of God, the people of God. It's not a place or a building. It is the people of God. And so what he's saying is God prunes those that bear fruit. But sometimes the pruning process can be painful. Sometimes it's through sickness. Sometimes it's through hardships. Sometimes it's through loss of material possessions. Sometimes it's through persecution. But guess what? God is using these hard times to shape and mold us for his good purposes that we may produce quality fruit. I've been praying a lot for us as a church, Northwest, a lot these past days. And, and the Lord placed the thought in my mind as I was praying for, for us, this thought. What if that is what the Lord has been doing these past seven years? What if he has been pruning or cleansing his congregation at Northwest? I know that many of you have gone through a lot and I want to encourage you this morning that it is not in vain. What if God is saying to you, I've been preparing you for what I wanted to do in you and through you, church. I've been stripping you down, taking off all the excess and refining you to produce the fruit of the gospel as a church. You see, God doesn't waste anything. Any circumstance, any hardship, God does not waste it, and we should not either. If it is suffering, we should look at it as God is using it to make us more like Christ, cutting back some of the unnecessary things so that we can return to the source of the strength of the vine of Christ, that his church may bear fruit. Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. I love this. I love this. The, the word of Christ is cleansing. It has made them clean. This connects Jesus back to chapter 13 and the, when he washes the disciples' feet and, and Peter says to him, you can't wash my feet. Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Peter says, well then wash my old body. And Jesus says, you are clean. 
The one who has bathed only needs his feet washed. You are clean, meaning you are saved. You are clean, meaning I have forgiven your sins. You see the 11 disciples, but then he says, you are clean, just not every one of you. You see, 11 of the disciples were true followers of Jesus. They were made clean by the word of Christ and receiving Christ. But there was one who was not. It was Judas. He was the branch that did not bear fruit in this passage. And the Lord is about to do some pruning with the 11 in the upcoming crucifixion, in the upcoming resurrection, in the upcoming waiting for the Holy Spirit. And he's preparing them for the work that he has for them to proclaim the gospel to the world. In verse four, he says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless It abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You think, I think that many of us are guilty of thinking we really need to be better. We need to better ourselves so that God will accept us. Rather than resting and trusting in the completed work of Christ upon the cross and his resurrection and his power and attaching ourselves to the vine and saying, Lord, bear fruit. You see, the power of God is that which transforms our life. Sometimes the thought process, though, is if we could just set up some more rules for ourselves. Or if we could just be better, if we could just do more. And this is the problem. This is is a problem. It's a big problem in today's church. It's it's a rules-based Christianity. You want to be a Christian? Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew. And don't go with girls that do because it might lead to dancing, okay? So there's nothing wrong with rules. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with rules. We all have them. But if that is your focus, if that is the main focus, and we say following God is just following rules, if we just follow God, we would be spiritual, The problem is then we're always thinking about what we need to do to make ourselves more acceptable to God rather than trusting in what God has already done and the promises that he has kept to do in the power of God through us. It's like my wife telling me, hey, there's some weeds in the flower bed. We need to get rid of those weeds. So I do do my man thing and I get out my roundup and I begin killing all those weeds, and I got the weeds right, but in the process, the beautiful rose bush in our front yard dies, okay? Not a good thing, not, not good. Men, do not do not do this. She sees it dead, and I say, oh, well, I'll fix that. I'll, I'll go to the flower shop. I'll buy some roses, and I'll staple them to the dead rose bush, Right? 
That might be a temporary solution, but that it does not fix the problem. You see, that's what we try to do oftentimes in our Christian life is, is, is just, just do better. Well, maybe I should just do some more and I'll, I'll go get some roses and staple it on, on the bush. No, we need to allow the vine to be the source of the life for us. Transformation comes about through the power of Christ in you, not a result of your work. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings about transformation, not a checklist of self-discipline. The last words that Jesus said on the cross were not, I got it started, now you finish it. No, Jesus said, it is finished. We believe that faith in Christ changes lives. This is the power of Christ in the gospel. We must cling to the source of the power and the vine in which brings about fruit. This brings us to our second point this morning. Verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. It's our second point this morning. True disciples of Christ bear fruit. True disciples of Christ bear fruit. Judas, as we've talked about already, was a disciple of Jesus, yet he bore no fruit. He was associated with Christ. He called him his friend. He was even put in, in charge of the money of the disciples. He was in a leadership position. John 12, 6 says Judas Iscariot was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Think about that for a minute. Jesus puts a guy he knows is stealing from the disciples as the CFO in charge of the money. Have you ever thought about that? This is a study for another time, but Ju but. With Judas and the money bag, Jesus is modeling for us. We're not to put our trust in money. Money is not the fruit that God is after. Judas became the poster child for 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. It leads us to the question, though, if money wasn't the fruit that Jesus is talking about here, that produces from him, if, if money wasn't what he was after, if, if money wasn't the purpose of his ministry, what is the fruit referring to? Some would misunderstand the fruit as outward success. Some would say incorrectly that the fruit is superficial things, such as having a large church, a popular ministry, a successful program, lots of money. But the Bible never equates fruit with superficial external behaviors or results. I thought it was interesting that one commentator even said that deceivers and hypocrites, as well as non-Christians, cults, or religions, can duplicate getting crowds and people 
to follow them and money. Rather, Scripture defines fruit in, in I'm going to say three ways. I'm sure that there's more, but I'm going to highlight three ways in which the Scripture defines fruit. One is Spirit-filled characteristics. You know that as the fruit of the Spirit. Another one is Spirit-led lives. People who are led by the Spirit. And the last one is the making of Spirit-led disciples. The fruit in which God desires. Spirit-led characteristics. Galatians 5.23, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So people who produce fruit produce these characteristics in their own life. So let me ask you the question, are you producing these characteristics in your life? Number two, they're spirit-led individuals. So they're not only producing the spirit-led characteristics, but they're producing lives that are led by the Spirit. Romans 7, 4 says this, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to one another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law, we were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we may serve in a new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code. What we saw this morning in baptism is a picture of this. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ were proclaiming the gospel, not only of what Christ has done, but what he has done in us. We are now dead in our transgressions and we live a new life that is in Christ. Rob has died and now he lives in Christ. He is led by the spirit of God, not by the fleshly desires. It is holy living, godly living. And the last one is spirit-led disciples. Jesus is talking to the woman at the well and he turns to the disciples and he says, in John 4, he says, do, not, do you not say there are four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. The fruit for eternal life. Spirit-led disciples, people that are changed by the power of the gospel. The fields are white for harvest. Sometimes we don't feel like that. And yet Jesus is saying, I'm the vine. I do the work. Trust in me. Pray to me. Ask me. Will I not show you fruit? Verse 6. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. You may, you may read this and you go, man, that's, that's pretty harsh. The reality is the Bible is clear. If you invite, abide in Christ, guess what happens? You bear fruit. But not abiding in Christ means that there is no fruit. There is something wrong. Because why? Because fruit reveals the condition of our hearts. Fruit reveals where we stand with God. Matthew 7, 17 says it plainly. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree or a bad tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The fruit shows us where our heart is. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. A bad tree cannot produce good fruit. You see, we have the disciples and we have Judas as our example. You see the heart of the disciples to give up their life for Christ. Now, what did Jesus have to do? He had to prune them, right? The father had to prune Peter and Thomas and all of these disciples. But guess what? They proclaimed the gospel. They gave their life to Christ and his work. But how can we expect God to produce fruit in our life if we are not attached to Christ, if we are not abiding in his word and, and so close to him? On the other hand, how can we not expect God to produce fruit in us if we are attached to him? If we're connected to him, if we're dwelling in him. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You see, abiding in Christ is reminding yourself of the gospel daily. Reminding yourself that you are undeserving of God's love, that he lavished his love upon you and Christ gave his life up for you, that you desire, that you want, that your heart yearns to glorify God with your life. It's a response to the gospel. You see, the gospel produces love for God and a desire to abide in him. 
That gospel, the word of God in us, produces this in us. All right, this last section, I'm going to close with this. I'm just going to read through it. Verse 9, and I'm going to commentate on it. I'm not going to do much more. But I want you to see something in these last verses. I want you to see where the love of God is producing in us. It is not us producing this love. It is God himself producing this love. Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus loved us. Abide in my love. As a result of Christ's love, we are to abide in his love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You think to yourself, oh, well, there you go, Rob. He's just telling us we just need to keep his commandments. But look what he says. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. The only way that we can keep the father's commandments and abide in his love is because Jesus did that. Not because we can do that. He says it. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. How can you have fullness of joy? Christ's joy in you. Look at it. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Because I've loved you. Come love one another. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. What does Christ do? He lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you my friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the, fa- in the Father in my name, he may give it to you, these things I command you, so that you will love one another. You see, a church that abides in Christ is a church that loves God and loves people. We can be the biggest, we can be the best, We can have the coolest programs. We can have the newest technology, the -the state-of-the-art children's area. But without love, we have nothing. We're just a resounding gong, and we are not producing the fruit in which God desires. But we also, also must understand that this love can only come from God. And the love of God should compel our hearts and our desires to love others. That should be our motivation for love, is God's love for us. That's why I talk about the gospel every single week when we preach in the morning, is because that is which transforms our hearts to be more like Christ and breeds desire for God and to love one another. So if you're not feeling the fullness of joy, you're tired, you're trying, and you're failing, rest in the love that God has for you. Go back to the gospel of grace and make your dwelling there. Abide in Christ. And if you say, you know, I, I, 
I don't have that kind of desire. I may not have ever had that desire. Fall at the feet of the good father and say, I need you. I need Jesus. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due time. Let's pray. Father, we ask that this morning that you would touch our hearts, that you would guide and direct our steps to be about you, not ourselves, not about your work, but about you. And that your love would grow in us so much that our desires and our hearts change to want to follow you. And Father, if, if we have our need of pruning, if we are in need of being cleaned up and aligned to your will, Father, do what you need to do in and through us to align ourselves with love. Love for you. Love for your people. Love for the lost. Father, we, may we be a church that abides in Christ. Father, may people say about us and they love one another and they love their God. Father, we thank you for this church and what you're doing here. We ask this morning that if there is anyone in this room that needs to come humbly before you, that they would come up front. They would ask you, Lord, to be the Lord of their life. That they would receive your grace and your mercy and what you did for us upon the cross. They would say, Jesus, I need you. I cannot do it. I want to abide in you the source of life. I recognize you as the source of strength. You are all that I need. I can do nothing apart from you. In Jesus' name we pray.